Pastor Ed Taylor makes this observation. Today we live in a time where, where the good shepherd is being neglected. We're living in a time where the neglect of God as he sent his son Jesus Christ as the door to enter in, the bread to bring fullness of life, the shepherd to care for our every need is being neglected. And what has been the result? But there's a famine in the land today of the word of God. I mean, all of the answers and all of the encouragement is available to us in his word, but there's this neglect. And so what happens? There's death in the pot. There's death in the marriage. There's death in the house. There's death in the church. The wages of sin is always death. This is amazing grace. Abounding Grace is on the air and glad you could make it. Pastor Ed Taylor will be along shortly to continue our new study of 2 Kings. As we open up chapter 4, there's a serious crisis going on, a famine in the land, or we could say death in the pot. The people were rebelling against the Lord through idolatry. But is there a way out of this mess? I'm happy to say there is. And the same holds true for us today. So if there's some sort of idolatry going on in your life, let's see what to do as we turn things over to Pastor Ed. 2 Kings chapter 4, we'll finish off the chapter as we continue to be encouraged on this journey with Elisha the prophet as he ministers unto the Lord. He's used in wonderful ways. As we study him uh, in his life, it inspires us. Uh, It inspires us to be used by him, by God, and to step out in faith. And as we learned last time, there's no one mold of the person that God uses. And aren't you grateful for that? There's not just one type of person with one type of gifting, with one type of of attitude and personality, but that God uses men and women of all shapes and sizes, all different backgrounds, all different perspectives. We're so different. I mean, just a, a quick survey of the room. There's so many differences in the room tonight, personality-wise and people-wise, but yet in Christ, we're unified by His purpose, and we're able then to set aside our differences and allow the Holy Spirit to use us in our differences. We're one body, the Bible says, but many members. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 23, it says, those members of the body that we think less honorable, on these we bestow greater honor. And on our unpresentable parts, they have greater modesty. But our presentable parts, they have no need. But God has composed the body, having given greater honor to the part which lacks it, that there should be no schism in the body, no division, but rather that the members should have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, then all the members suffer with it. And if one member is honored, then all the members rejoice with it. Now you are the body of Christ, and members individually. And we move forward now to the end of the chapter as we move on from the resurrection of a dear friend's son. Elisha comes back to the city of Gilgal in verse 38 and says, Elisha returned to Gilgal and there was a famine in the land. 
Now the sons of the prophets were sitting before him, and he said to his servant, Put on the large pot and boil stew for the sons of the prophets. So one went out into the field to gather herbs and found a wild vine and gathered from it a lap full of wild gourds and came and sliced them into the pot of stew, though they did not know what they were. Then they served it to the men to eat. And it happened as they were eating the stew that they cried out and said, O man of God, there is death in the pot. And they could not eat it. So he said, then bring some flour. And he put it into the pot and said, serve it to the people that they may eat. And there was nothing harmful in the pot. Hard times have come to the city of Gilgal. And there was a famine in the land. Now remember, a famine in the land doesn't just mean the absence of food. For a famine in today's mindset would be the equivalent in your life of losing your job and everything that goes with it. Like they have lost everything. They've lost the ability to, to farm, to produce food. It, it is a crisis time. So whenever you think of famine, whenever you read famine in the scriptures, it's a serious crisis. And in this crisis, some food is gathered. They go out to get some vines, some herbs, and these wild gourds. And Elisha tells his servant to get a large pot, boil some stew for the prophets. And as they're gathering things, they end up cutting these gourds into the stew, and they're poisonous. And as they're eating them, they cry out, there is death in the pot. And they stopped eating it. And the, Elisha said, bring some flour and add it. And as they did, it was miraculously removed the poison. Another miracle, you just kind of read through it and go, wow, okay. Um, but, but Elisha's being used supernaturally here. Like this is God supernaturally using this man so that they, the prophets can be nourished. But remember there is also a, a backdrop of God's dealings with the nation of Israel. And once again, God is showing the judgment that he's bringing upon the nation by withholding fruitfulness from the land. And with that comes severe hunger, desperation, and difficulties. The people were not only hungry for bread, but also for what would really satisfy their spiritual hunger. The condition of the nation at this time is a rebellion against God. Uh, their condition of the nation at this time is a famine for the word of God. They are involved in idolatry, where they're turning to have their deepest needs met by emptiness. And with idolatry, you combine the pictures together, and I thought it's a beautiful picture. With idolatry, there's always death in the pot. <laughs> Whenever you abandon God and his word, there's always death in the pot. The wages of sin is death. Your life, a pot. And the wages of sin in your life is always death in the pot. It's always that way. With rebellion, there always comes death. With resistance and disobedience and compromise, there will always be death in the pot. It's just the opposite of God's heart for the nation. It's, it's not what God is offering to them. God is offering to them meal, flour, a, a meat of the word. He, he's offering to them life-sustaining bread. It's the opposite of the heart of Jesus for us today. And, and I just wanted to bring that backdrop in, into our own lives because some of you that I'm speaking to are involved in some, some, some sort of idolatry. And, and what I mean by idolatry is that you aren't gaining the full satisfaction of your life from Jesus alone. And, and with that, you're also not gaining direction or wisdom from God's word. And so turn over to John chapter 10 as we're reminded of the heart of Jesus for us. Because if your life, you know, if your life is 
symbolizes the pot. And all the pieces of your life inside the pot is like the stew. There are those times when things are cut into the pot that bring death. There are all those times when innocently even in some cases where you're out looking for things and you're gathering away and you don't find out there's death in the pot until you taste it. And still at other times there's death in the pot because you put it in there. And you're stirring it up. And even as you see this picture, other people are eating from the pot of your life. And it's not God's heart for you to have death in your life. He's come to give life and not more abundantly. Notice with me in John chapter 10, verse 7, as Jesus gives this great declaration. And we're going to stay in John for a minute. In John chapter 10, verse 7, Jesus said to them again, Most assuredly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door, and if anyone enters by me, he will be saved, notice, and will go in and out and find what? Pasture. You're going to eat well. You're going to eat well. You're, you're going to have health and vitality from the good shepherd. Jesus says, I'm that door. You know, a sheepfold was a round enclosure made up of rock walls about six feet high, and different things were made out of it. But, but literally, it would leave an opening that the shepherd would lay in front of, and the shepherd would become the door. And none of the sheep would go in and out except through the shepherd. And Jesus says, I'm that door. With that picture, he says, you're not getting in and out except through me. And as the door, Jesus provides protection. As the door, Jesus provides that ability to watch out for you, to guard you, to defend you, so that you might sleep well under his care. All who came before him, Jesus says, were thieves and robbers. And isn't that the case? The Bible describes our arch enemy, the devil, as a, as a roaring lion seeking whom he might devour. The Bible describes our arch enemy, the devil, as someone who's just come, Jesus said, to kill, steal, and destroy. And anyone that would follow him would be doing the same exact thing. They're thieves and robbers. And there were then, there were those that were then, and there are many today that would want to take you away and draw them, draw you and me after themselves, away from the good shepherd. Those that would even come around our church family, find out that you have a newfound faith in Christ and want to talk you out of it, want to make fun of you, want to somehow undermine the Bible or come up with all kinds of fanciful things to try to undermine this newfound relationship you have with the Lord. Try to throw these poisonous gourds into your life, into what God is doing in your life. They still come around today, but Jesus promises that pasture, that pasture. Turn over to John chapter 6 now, John chapter 6. Pick up with me in verse 28, would you? John chapter 6, verse 28. They came to him and said, what shall we do that we may work the works of God? It's a good question. They're basically asking, what do we need to do to please God? And they frame it in the, the way, only way that they can relate, through works. What do we need to do in order to please God? What works do we need to do? Jesus answered, verse 29, this is the work. Okay, what is it? That you believe in whom he sent. It's faith. Faith pleases God. Without faith, there's no pleasing God. Therefore, they said, what sign will you perform? Verse 30 that we may see it and believe you. What work will you do? Our fathers ate the manna in the desert. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. And Jesus said to them, most assuredly, I say to you, Moses did not give you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. 
And they said to him, Lord, give us this bread always. And Jesus said, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. But all the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will by no means cast out. Jesus says, I'm the door, but I'm also the bread. I'm the bread of life. I mean, into any poisonous situation, any pot of stew with death in it, when you add the bread of life, there's healing. I am the bread. I'm the true bread of life. I'm as, as miraculous and glorious was the manna in the wilderness. I mean, they had food every day. Whatever was in the manna, whatever constituted the manna, had all the nutrients to sustain a human being for a day, for a, a, each meal. And, and as valuable as that was for 40 years, six days a week, because remember they would always gather double on the sixth day so they wouldn't have to gather on the Sabbath. And so all, six days they were able to gather constantly, constantly, constantly. And, and, and God fulfilled them and took care of them. And Jesus says, you know, the manna is not the best thing God has. The best thing God has is the bread that he sent down, me. I'm the true bread. I am the bread of life. I think sometimes there's a misunderstanding in our lives about Christianity and what it means to relate to God. It's usually defined in what you can't do. Usually you'll find definitions of Christianity of don't do this and you don't do that and you can't do this. And I have to say in a relationship with God, there are new limitations placed upon our lives, but limitations with a purpose. For, for example, there, there are limitations that are placed upon us when we drive. Uh, there, there are what side of the road we should drive on, what, how fast we should drive, whether we should go or stop or slow down. I mean, there are limitations, but those limitations are for the benefit of all. If you follow the limitations, they're never really an issue in your life. Everybody's safe. Everybody's taken care of. Everybody can enjoy the road. And, and it's the same way with God. The limitations He places in our lives are for the betterment of all, including ourselves. There's just some things you want to stay away from, some things that are just aren't healthy. And yet, our relationship with God is not defined by limitations. Our relationship with God is defined by His finished work on the cross and the new life that He's given to us. He gave, you see, Jesus came to give us life on a higher plane. It doesn't stop with poison and death in the pot. It doesn't stop there. There are those times in our lives where things can get so bad and so difficult that we just declare there's death in the pot, that's it. And we give up hope. Some of you might be here right now, listening in on the radio, just looking at the condition of your life and just thinking there's death in the pot. And just, that's it, I give up. I turn away. But like Elisha of old, the Holy Spirit says to us today, put some flour in it. Add the bread of life into your life. Remember the Lord, high and exalted. Remember, as we're beginning to study in the book of Hebrews, it's so exciting, but, but one of the things that's so greatly emphasized in the first chapter is that Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the Father. He's at a place of, of, of completion, a place of honor. A place, it is complete and it is finished. All that is left for us is to enjoy it by faith. Death in the pot is not the end for the believer. Just throw some flour in it. Why? Because Jesus says he is the bread of life. He's come to give you the full nourishment. He, he's not only the bread, he's not only the door, but he's the good shepherd 
who gives his life for the sheep. And all of that is ours by faith. Where we just believe what God has said and enjoy what God has done. Today we live in a time where, where the good shepherd is being neglected. We're, be, we're living in a time where the neglect of God as he sent his son Jesus Christ as the door to enter in, the bread to bring fullness of life, the shepherd to care for our every need is being neglected. And what has been the result? But there's a famine in the, word of God, in, in the land today of the word of God. I mean, all of the answers and all of the encouragement is available to us in his word, but there's this neglect. And so what happens? There's death in the pot. There's death in the marriage. There's death in the house. There's death in the church. So much so that, and, and don't think it's just a, a 21st century thing. Because Jesus would even declare to a church in the book of Revelation, you have a name that you're alive, but you're dead inside. To a church, you have a name that you're alive, but there's death in the church, there's death in the home, there's death in the marriage. The wages of sin is always death. Another time in Israel's history, in Amos, jot it down in Amos chapter 8, verse 11. God declares, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord God, that I will send a famine on the land, not a famine of bread, nor a thirst for water, but of hearing of the words of God. Let it not be so with us. Like Elisha, coming back to 2 Kings 4. It's just a simple miracle. I mean, you just think, well, you know, they threw a little flour and it, it took care of the poison. No, this was a miracle. A miraculous healing. The solution to the poison and the solution to the death was this meal, this flour, this bread, this word that comes in. And he says, serve it to the people with great confidence. And I love that in verse 41. There was nothing harmful in the pot. Wasn't there just something harmful in the pot previously? But when the flour, the meal was poured in, there was nothing harmful in the pot. Some of you can claim that by faith tonight in your life. That's the work of God. He wants to bring out the poison and declare there's nothing harmful in the pot. Nothing harmful. Move on, verse 42. And then a man came from Baal Shalisha and brought the man of God bread of the first fruits, 20 loaves of barley bread, newly ripened grain in his knapsack. And he said, give it to the people that they may eat. And his servant said, what? Shall I set this before a hundred men? And he said again, give it to the people that they may eat. For thus says the Lord, they shall eat and have some left over. Does this sound familiar? Haha, <laughs> so great. God is so faithful. He's faithful all the way through. You know, there are those today that advocate this silliness that the God of the Old Testament is different than the God of the New Testament. Have you heard that? Well, the God of the Old Testament. And they begin to pull out some, some things in the Old Testament of, yeah, you know, there were some gnarly things going on with the nation of Israel when they were involved in war. Yeah. I mean, war is ugly. War is difficult. War is hard. And primarily, most of the war that is depicted in the Old Testament is through the nation of Israel. By the time we come to the New Testament, most of the war that's depicted in the New Testament is through Jesus Christ and the victory that he battled over sin and death. But it's just simply nonsense that, that there is a God of the Old Testament and then a God of the New Testament. God is God. And he's the same faithful God from beginning to end. As we find in the New Testament, Jesus feeding thousands and then the disciples, not, the Bible declares that after they ate of the loaves and the fish, that they, the, the word that they use is they were glutted. 
They were filled to capacity. It was an all-you-can-eat. They didn't know they were coming to an all-you-can-eat bread and fish meal. But they ate as much as they could fill. And all of the disciples walked away with a basket full of leftovers. The gracious provision of God. Well, we have that in the Old Testament where there is a feeding. And the man comes and he brings the man of God bread as an offering. The first fruits. 20 loaves, verse 42. Newly ripened grain in his knapsack. And he said, give it to the people that they may eat. And his servant said, what? Shall I set this before a hundred men? And he said again, give it to the people that they may eat. For thus says the Lord, they shall eat and have some left over. And so he set it before them and they ate and had some left over according to the word of God. You're listening to Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. And Ed, as you closed, we noticed God's gracious provision for the people. They ate and had some left over, reminiscent to the feeding of the 5,000. Can you think of a modern-day example of what appeared to be an impossibility and God faithfully provided even when all hope was lost? Well, Larry, there's a lot of ways to conceptually think of that question because God is always providing And he's always providing in ways that we may not acknowledge that are from him. Um, For example, our regular paychecks, they come from him. Uh, The food on our table, they come from him. The gas in our cars, the clothes on our back, that that all comes from him. And so God is the provider. Uh, We tend to take too much credit for the things that God's providing, both small and big. But with impossibilities, I mean, I could think in my own life, God has provided in incredible ways, impossible situations. You know, in the life of our church family, I think of us not only having a radio broadcast, Abounding Grace, but through the life of our local church here at Calvary Church in Aurora, uh, God has entrusted to us two full-power FM radio stations that He has entrusted to our care, that we are stewards over. And the numbers of... Uh, finances that were needed to purchase Grace FM were way beyond the ability of our church, extremely beyond. And yet, as we took a step of faith with what we had, God met us there, provided two sources of opportunity to purchase the station, two loan opportunities, and we took one of them, and within one year, the church paid the the resources of the station off. I mean, this still has hard costs and stuff, but the actual station itself, God provided. And I mean, we're talking astronomical numbers for a little church. And so God is amazingly able to provide money. He's able to provide people. He's able to provide hope, encouragement, comfort, you name it. I mean, we can go on and on of the provision of God. Trust him, would you please? And I specifically, I know we talked about money a little bit, but just a little bit before we leave, I mean, I really believe that God has a word for you listening, that God is ready to provide to you the comfort that has been so elusive, especially those of you that have been having a problem sleeping. The Bible says, and it's a promise, that God gives his beloved rest. And I just want you to claim that promise by God, trust him by faith. And when you put your head on the pillow tonight to rest, just say, Lord, I'm trusting you at your word, and I'm accepting by faith, the rest that is mine. And then just prayerfully, 
you're going to fall asleep. And I'd love to hear your testimony of how God's provided for you. So reach out to us. Uh, you can email us here uh, at the church, info at calvaryaurora.org, info at calvaryaurora.org, or you can always email us through gracefm.com. Uh, gracefm.com. We're kind of using that website to uh, as for Bounding Grace right now uh, until ours gets developed. So God bless you guys. Appreciate all of your prayers and encouragement through Abounding Grace. Thanks again, Ed. We'd like to suggest a great book by Erwin Lutzer that can help. It's called How to Break a Stubborn Habit. You'll learn how to apply God's Word and overcome whatever is plaguing your life. We'll send it to you with our thanks for a gift of $25 or more to Abounding Grace. And thank you for remembering us in your prayers and giving to the Lord here in 2019. We rely completely on God to make all this happen, and we look to our listeners to help us cover the increasing costs of being on the radio. Call toll-free at 877-30-GRACE or go online to calvaryaurora.org. That's 877-30-GRACE. If you prefer to write to Abounding Grace, jot down this address, 18900 East Hamden Avenue, Aurora, Colorado, 80013. Well, there's much more to come in 2 Kings. Don't miss a moment of the journey right here on Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church, Colorado. 